You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I said, said that you need to light Ner Hanukkah from Shkia to a time called Kola Regel Menashuk, Tichle Regel Menashuk. People, and we said that's, of course, people walking, people moving, people around. The Gemara wants to know, Va'ad Kama. Hmm. Interesting question. Because I guess there's always people, some stragglers there. What does it mean, Tichla Regel Menashuk? Does it mean that it's completely empty? Does it mean completely there's not one person walking? I think that's probably the Gemara's question. The Gemara's question is that the sheer sounds like it's too inexact. Clearly, there's more people at a certain time, right? The rush hour thins. But what are we talking about? We know that there's probably, in some sense, a lot of people that are still, like, you know, the last people out. People who stayed late in the office and wanted to get a, uh, an easy commute home. This, uh, do they count? So, Amar Rabba Baravchana, Amar So we have a psaq from the God of it's the same thing of it's just Aramaic, right? Rigla, Kalya, it's the same basic term in Aramaic. Okay, so we're talking about the, the feet of the Tarmudoi. Who are Tarmudoi and what do their feet mean? Okay, you've probably seen this Rashi a number of times. Let's take a look at what Rashi tells us. See if there's another possibility. Let's take a look at Rashi. Shame Uma. So Rashi says that Tarmudoi is the name of a certain type of people. Maybe they aren't around anymore. Again, ancient uh, research might discover who these people are. And it seems like they had a, the Tarmudoyim seemed to have had a specific role in that society in Eretz role at the time. What was their role? They were sort of like... We look at Rashi. Rashi says, and again, if we take a look at what we know from today's time, we could say that what these people, what they were doing, I mean, they were enjoying the benefits of living in Eretz but many of them had the job of Malakte Eitzim Dakim. Okay, so there was, there was there was wood around, but this was the wood that you didn't use for building, but it could definitely be used for uh, for ovens, for oils, for 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 candles, candle meaning candelabrums, umis akven bishuk. They are usually there. In other words, they've got their supply ready, and they're in the marketplace. So we talked about farmers coming from the fields, passing through the shuk. And then you have the people who are actually in the shuk, who are selling goods that are crucial for the household to continue, like the main sellers, right? The b'nei shuk. They're the ones that have the big stores. They're the ones that have the, the, the general stores, right? You got your Sam Drucker. You got, you know, somebody else who's over there, got the general store, got the stuff. And they stay later, this group of people. They stay later, Mishach 
they state later, even if it's already become dark. Why are they there? Because everybody else has gone home. Or, and they go home, and what do they do? Everybody goes home, and if hopefully they could have some fire to, to cook something, to have some light in the house, uh-oh. The way things happen is people forget. People, oh, we ran out. Oh, so they stay later. In other words, they're similar to like we say the 7-Eleven, right? That they're open. Yeah, every the main store is closed. Get them over there. Hello. I know you were going to miss stuff. So in other words, they saw this economic opportunity of people who, right, who needed AIDS. Uh, maybe the regular stores were closed already, or this was an item that wasn't really sold necessarily in a store. The assumption was you had enough, but not everybody has enough. So they're going to be later than the shuk is, is, is generally closed. Most of the stuff for stores are closed, but these guys are still there. Now, what's the point? Very interesting sociological phenomena. But of course, the point is, is that when they are gone, they know that what? They know that probably nobody else is coming out. They've got a sense based on history of, of their selling and the history of, their, of, of where, what they do every night. They've got a gut sense based on the facts. How long are we going to stay here and wait for people? which means they are a barometer to the stragglers. Stragglers doesn't really mean stragglers. It really means people who still might go out and be in the shuk. And those people will see your Hanukkah burning. Those people, not the Tarmadoyim themselves, but the people the Tarmadoyim are waiting for. When the Tarmadoyim are gone, that's a proof that probably nobody's coming out. That whoever needed to come out because he was he fell short on the amount of, 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 of fuel isn't coming. They know when there's people. So when you don't see them anymore, you know there's nobody who's going to be in the shuk. Now, nobody means the people who are from the major, uh, the major community that's part of this city, the ones that are coming from the farms, the ones that actually work in the shuk. A, well, perc- that, a, what's, what's a okay. percentage of those will come back. There's always going to be a percentage of people who discover when they go home that there isn't enough fire, there's, there's enough wood in the woodshed to be able to use for the ovens. When, when, you are, when, when that percentage of people, let's say it's 10%, 15% are gone, meaning because it's too late for them, because the Tarmudoi don't expect them there. They've already been into the Shuk. They've made their second trip, so to speak. They've made their return trip and they're gone. Then you know that there isn't a decent percentage of people that are going to be there. And even if there might be someone out there, it's too late to light the Hanukkah. Okay, Hanukkah, what did you want to ask? No, that's what I... It's, it... Uh, this has a halachic implication as far as parsubenisa, right. because once the people who come back are finished, and once the fellow who who supplies them is gone, then the then then it it, it may be too late to light the Hanukkah list. Exactly what we're saying. That and even though you'll say, "Oh, I see somebody out there," too bad. In other words, Chazal came up with Zman. Either there's the guy who stayed an hour and a half later because he, he's, he's got 
phobias of going home with people. He doesn't. He wants to social distance to the extreme. And there, oh, there's that guy. Too late. That doesn't count. It'd be great if you catch the main hustle and bustle. But if you're able to be Makayim the Mitzvah till, oh, there's still Tarmadoyim out there. Oh, that means there's probably going to be some people there. That's good enough. That's is what, that a particular time range or is it sub- subjective? Okay, that's a good question, Sheila. We assumed when we learned this Gemara last week that it's that it's really based on the town. Now, on, on that point, Rashi and Tosas don't give us most much. Rashi told us there was a the Gemara said it was a shear. Obviously, the shear, and I said the shear would be dependent on the place, and that was corroborated by, I didn't show you this to yet, but corroborated by the Ritvol. Look at the Ritvol. Okay. So Ritvol follows, as I, he seems to follow Rashi, but you'll see, not really. He doesn't say they're a nation. He says, Pirish mochre eitzim hanikroyim tarmudoi. Whoever is selling the eitzim is called tarmudoi. It isn't like a specific people. And where the Ritzvah got that from was from the reef. We look at the reef. The reef says, who are, tar, right? Eight, what is Tarmudoy? The reef says, Pirsh, Eitzim Yoduim Etzlam. Tarmudoy meant wood. That's what Tarmudoy was. In other words, Tarmudoy was wood. It's The wood is called Tarmuda. Tarmuda, in other words, according to Rashi, Tarmudoy, a Tarmud, is some country somewhere. You know, some lost country. We don't know what it is today. Tarmud. The Riff says Tarmud is a type of tree. It's a type of wood. And maybe once the wood is thin and chipped, it's called a tarmod. I don't know. Maybe it's a type of, uh, it's a type of bot- botanical type of tree that was called the tarmod tree. Or maybe these size chips were called tarmod. Anyway. So maybe in one generation, it was one people. In one generation, it was someone else. Whoever's got the job, both Rashi and the Riff are basically on the same page. That it's the people who bring these, who bring this wood. Um, but as you take a look, as we finish the Riff, they're there after it's already the sun has set. And here's your half hour. Kimo chatzisha. Hmm. It's about a half hour. Ad So it's a half hour till they get to their house. So it sounds like they spend like a half hour um, bringing the wood. Now, I, I would say they're not in the shuk, Sheila and Nechenach. He doesn't say that, 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 that they are probably going from house to house delivering wood. In other words, Rashi says they're the 7-Eleven. The like peddler, it's a peddler. That's right, the guy. Right, and it wasn't such. It wasn't considered such a denigrating thing. I mean, okay. In other words, instead of the way I said it, everybody, the normal person would say, "Oh, we have enough wood." It's like today, you have enough. You stock up on the toilet paper, right? You stock up. So most people stock up on the wood. But 
That's the way Rashi says. And therefore, you have these Tarmudoyim who made a living at, oh, they were like these, uh, they were these, they, they came up with a new way to make a living from the people who, like the 7-Eleven stores, the bodega people. Ah, so that was like a niche industry that they have. That's Rashi. I don't see anything about the Shuk, uh, that they're in the Shuk. It's true, they're, they, they're not in the Shuk because they are, the Shuk is adjacent and close by to the house, and these guys are the ones that bring the wood. Maybe they bring them to the shuk for the for the merchants for the next day. Maybe they deliver them to people's houses. And they are the ones that, because of their type of job, they're usually there later than shkia. So I would say um, the difference between Rashi and the Rif, besides the word tarmod, of what it means... According to Rashi, it's for the people that the Tarmodes are serving. According to the Rif, it's for the Tarmodes themselves, the Tarmodoyim themselves, right? In other words, according to Rashi, the Tarmodoyim, they're not even Jews. We're not trying to 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 give the, the these non-Jews a story of Hanukkah, right? Talked about this at the end of last week with the Chabad uh, understanding of what's part of the Pearson. According to, according to Rashi, we're not trying to impress the Tarmodoyim. They they aren't part of who we're trying to reach. According to the Reef, a Tarmod can be a, a nice Jewish uh, blue-collar worker, and this is his job. And he's in the Shuk, or he's around. And therefore, he's usually usually 30 minutes after Shkia. That's the, the length of time they work. And so the what's the Nafkamina as far as uh, lighting candles? Okay, so first of all, just in Pshat, just to understand Pasha Pshat is good to know. But the riff seems to say, and where does he get a half hour? Because he says it probably takes a half hour until they get home. So they are the ones that are still around. Those are your target. So that's, that is the riff's interpretation, different than Rashi subtly, on what Tarmudoy is and that we're trying to reach them. Now, he says a half hour. It seems like a half hour is sort of, um, you know, arbitrary. Um, where does he know that it's a half hour till they get home? Maybe Jay, that's, that's what he assumes. He probably assumes, well, come on, we expect them, you know, uh, it's dark. You think they're going to be out there in the dark? Even people who have these later type of jobs get home by a half hour. And that could be that was the Riff's mentality, that people in those days, you know, it gets dark. Again, the first couple of minutes... The first 25 minutes or so, it's, it's, it's light enough to make sense that you're still working. Rashi, by the way, said it's it's dark. Rashi says it's chashecha. If you take a look at Rashi, once again. Now, it could be when Rashi says chashecha, he doesn't mean pitch dark. But Rashi does use the word chashecha, if you take a look. Umavir or. So according to, I would say Rashi's, it sounds to me that it's a later time than it does to the Rif. Because they're out there knowing the people who schlep home, go through the pantry, discover they don't have any wood, and come back out. And the Jews that are out there, it says, Rashi says, Chashecha. Again, I'm not going to put money on it, but it seems to me like it might be later. And therefore, Hanach and Sheila, I'm wondering that if it's more than a half hour. Going to the Ritva, the Ritva agrees with the Rif in terms of what the 
taich in Tarmudoy is. It really depends what's going on in your city. So look what the Ritva says. The Ritva basically says that a ha- he, dis- he, he takes the Rift's interpretation of what Talmud means, but he rejects this half-hour business. Because he says every place is different. There are some places where it's more than a half hour, even which means even when it's darker, they're still out there. So therefore, you really don't know what the shear is. Now the Ritva goes with Haminaga Poshet. Now, why does he have to say that? What's wrong with the Gemara's uh, explanation? So it could be in the Ritva's time, the Middle Ages, there wasn't these Eitzim sellers out in the street. That was the, that was true in the time of Chazal. So therefore, the Ritva develops an alternative interpretation that that corresponds to his time. What is the shear? The minigapashat, meaning what we do. Shiuro kolzman shachnayot hamochem shemen ukiyotzebehem psuchot. So basically, there are stores. And this really is more like Rashi, but not the Tarmudoyim, the bodega stores. It's sort of the stores of the people that sell oil and things like oil. And you would assume, just like Rashi said, the Tarmudoyim figured out, these guys figured out to stay open later. And therefore, what I would say is, you know, the Ritva starts with the Rif's mentality, but then he says that it shouldn't really be a half hour. It should really depend on where you are. Even according to the Rif, every every place is different. And therefore, he says, probably for us, that we don't have Mochre Eitzim, but we definitely have stores that are selling oil and other That's things like in, that. In the time of the Gemara, they had, you're saying that they had these vendors who went around, but as time passed, they had these uh, these stores that handled the oil and the wood. Right, right. And I think, therefore, the Ritva needed to say this line because these guys weren't around anymore. Right. So, therefore, the Ritva says that's probably the minig. It really, it's probably the people that are selling the oil. Now... Are those people, are, are, are you, again, the question is, are you lighting for them or for the people who are going to use the stores? I think the Ritva goes over to Rashi, that you're lighting for the people who are going to use the stores, right? Because as long as those stores are open, people are, the, they have clientele. And that clientele are the ones who you are zeroing in on. Another way to understand it is that, hey, I don't got my oil yet. How can you stop the time? I need this time to go. One second. Uh, if the store is open, it's probably because I don't have it and I got to run over there and get it. So it needs the Zman of Adloka has to be as long as these stores are open because the stores are open based on the assumption people are going, don't have oil and need it. And you better give them a chance to light. So it could be just a practical thing. 
In other words, this... it, can't, it can't be the Meichre uh, of oil, because if they're Jews, how do we know that they didn't light beforehand? So it can't good. be because of that. <laughs> well, good question, Hannah. Good question. If you, it seems like if, 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 if you go like the riff, that it's for the Tarmudayim, well, why are you lighting for them? They're going to go light themselves. And can they light when they get home? Maybe they can't. <laughs> maybe maybe it's too late by the time they get home. Maybe these people who need Parnosah can only light, can only make a bracha for seeing the Ner Hanukkah. If everybody's lighting outside, because that's the assumption, then those guys are your target. The Jews, the Jewish merchants in the Rif's time were their target. And they were, but they didn't light themselves because they got home too late. So that would be, it's a good point. Um, okay, let's go on to the next piece of Gemara. The next piece of Gemara, of course, is the famous piece of Gemara about what the mitzvah is. Tanarabonon mitzvahs near Hanukkah. And I mentioned, you see how early it is. There's a Bryce telling you what the mitzvah is near Ish Ubeso. Which means one one nair for each household. Rashi says it clearly. Nair echad b'chol laila. Ve'ish v'kol b'nei beso sagi l'hu b'nei echad. Ish. Ish is, I guess, the guy who pays the mortgage. Kol b'nei beso is anyone that's part of his family. That's it. So basically, one candle is all you need. Ner ish ubeso. We talk about we talked about last week, if you remember, uh, with Rabbi when Rabbi Paul was listening to us. We talked about the mitzvah of 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 uh, being meiser nefesh to get more candles, right? To get more oil and to borrow. It would seem that if you have enough for one candle. It would seem that you don't have to go out, you don't have to go, uh, knock on doors and beg for more than one. If you can be Makayim the Mitzvah with one, why should you have to tax the tzedakah funds of your city and get yourself in debt to fulfill more than the essential mitzvah? Right? So I mentioned last week the idea of, if you remember, the idea of Kiddush Hashem, the idea of being Mepharsim the Nase. Maybe even one candle does something about Pirsim Anase. And therefore, it's important to realize, you know, again, obviously candles are very cheap and you could probably get them for, you know, 79 cents in the store, those little, I don't know how much they cost, but I assume it's still less than a dollar, that little package, right? of Hanukkah candles and that's not a lot in today's time but in those days they didn't have candles ready made this was a, an expense somewhat of an expensive commodity so one is enough now we have the next thing of Mahadran ne'er v'kol echad ve'echad the Mahadran is a ne'er to each person now first of all Rashi gives us a definition of what this idea of Mahadran is today everybody knows what Mahadran is right it's funny. Um, I, I once made this point. I don't know if it's still it's still as relevant, but I, I, I saw that um, 
like in the uh, in the non-Jewish world, like when they wanted to sell like the real thick, like full tasting ice cream. I think I remember this from from Jewel. It was called the Decadent brand. <laughs> Decadent. Um, I, that that was the idea of like the better product. And it's interesting that by us in the Frum Velt, you know, it's Mahadran. But it's still like this. You want the Mahadran cake, right? It's Mahadran, right? right? Like the Mah- they use the term of Mahadran, right? Mahadran Shaita, Mahadran, right? And but the commercial for the Mahadran is like this dripping chocolate, right? Thing. It's Mahadran, right? <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's so, not what Mahadran means, <laughs> right? Right, but but that's what you associate with what? Right? It's like the the Mahadran, like brand, right? The Mahadran so, brand of yogurt that's Mahadran. I always, um, I go, so go at you. I'm sorry. I always found this concept. I don't. Do we find it anywhere else about Mahadran and Mahadran? Mina Mahadran. Like, right. So right. So that's what I was trying to build up to. It sounds like you know where does it come from? We do you know Mahadran. Mina Mahadran is something unique, right? And maybe you could do a search to see. Mahadrim, right? We do have that term as a verb. Now we know what the word Mahadr means. We know from the word Hadra that it means to go back, right? Hadra means we'll come back to you. Hodar mm-hmm. is the Aramaic for Hoser, right? Now normally we say Hod Vahodar. No, that's not what we say. It means it's not like pre eight Hodar. Right, you could you could say Mahadran means beautiful, right? Pre eight hodor, like an estrog, right? This thing, right? That's hodor, right? Um, you know, it's it's it's. Um, Rashi says Mahadran achra mitzvos, people who run after, people who try to pursue mitzvos. Osinir echad bechol laila lekol echad veechad mimnei abayis. So they are establishing, putting down a nair for everyone in the household. So you look at this Rashi. It doesn't say everyone lights. Osin means if you're the Mahadir, who's the Mahadir? The Mahadir, I guess, would be the owner of the house. He makes sure that everyone is represented. Now, it would be nice for the kid to light, but they don't have to light. He's the lighter. From this Rashi, and I think from many of the Rishonim, it goes against what we think Mahadran is. In other words, we think Mahadran means, okay, little Yankel, here's yours. Little Sprinza, here's your menorah. Right? And that's the way I did it as well. Baruch Hashem, I have four kids, and each one lit. Each one had their Hanukkah, each one had their menorah. So then why doesn't Rashi say Bishvil? That's a decent question. I'm not sure if it knocks out the real meaning of the Rashi. You're saying Rashi could have been clear. If Kivalevich is right, Rashi should have said, I think that's really what he's saying, Hanukh. Mm-hmm. Again, I, again, I hear you're telling me Rashi should have been clearer. But it should have been Mahadran. It should have been a Mahadran. Everybody does it. Look, not everyone is in a, not everyone's a little sprinza and little Yanko. There's also going to be, you know, teenage, uh, Shmiel, right? And, right. Te- and teenage, uh, uh, Zelda, 
they're in the house, right? So it should be Amahadranachar Mitzvos, Ko Abayas Osa, right? Rashi says if you're the Mahadir, the people who are in the group of the Mahadran, which is not everybody, because not everybody is a Mahadir. There's people who want to do mitzvahs better. They make sure that there's one light for everybody but it's not that the are lighting. Okay. Right. Okay. right. That's my reading of the Rashi. I've, I, I, I've, I've shown this Rashi to other people. That's what I feel Rashi is saying. So now, if that's what Mahadran means, so now we go to what Shiva wanted us to zero in on. Mahadran mina Mahadran. Hmm. So you have the Mahadran, right? Those people that really care. And they want to put something for everybody. Each person is represented. Which is very interesting because, let's just think about it. Hey, why does everybody have to light? I mean, isn't it, does it represent the family? Does it represent each person? Does everyone have their own unique sense of things? I mean, especially since if you say one person is doing it. But let's take a look at, at the next opinion. Mahadran mina Mahadran. Meaning, from the Mahadran, you're even better. You're like, among the group that we already call Mahadran, you're even a better one. Okay. So what's the opinion there? If from the Mahadran and Mahadran, there's eight. Eight, the other night, seven. Okay, the famous, most famous machlokas and shas almost for people that Hillel and Shammai, either eight starting or one starting. Okay. Amar Ula. Ula, who was of course the traveler from Eretz Yisrael to Bovel, came to Bovel and they already had this brysa. And he told everybody, Rabbi Sai, you want to know what pshat in this brysa is? Now, those of you that were at my shir last night know that I read the same exact terms when it came to Al-Kansipur Yagir Rachamecha, the same argument to Amaroyim, that there's Rabbi Yossi Bar Avin and Rabbi Yossi Bar Zvida. It's the exact same two. So it sounds like these men argued about a number of issues, and the B'nai Bavel didn't always get clear who said what. Sometimes you look in the Yerushalmi, as we saw last night, we figure out who said what. That was Rebiosi Bar Avin, is the one who said that uh, that you don't make the Xeris of HaKadosh Baruch Rachamim. Anyway, but that was Rebiosi Bar Avin. And Rebiosi Bar Zvida, who he argued with. Okay, so we know, Chadam our time in the Beishamai, Keneged Yom Nasim. Doesn't sound like much of an explanation. Shammai is all about Yom Nasim. Meaning, how many do we have now? You got eight now? Okay. Tomorrow, we've got seven days coming in. So it's the days you're expecting to come. Time in the Beis Okay. That doesn't sound like there's that much, you know, you know, big machshova between them, right? Then the Chadomar, there's more of an idea with it. Time of the Beishamik and Eged Pariachag. 
It's about the Pariachag. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The Pariachags were on Sukkot. And we know the Pariachag started with 13, right? And mm-hmm. it went down from 13 to how many? To 13, 12, mm-hmm. 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, right? Mm-hmm. And if you take, of course, 13 and 12 and 11 and 10 and 9 and 8 and 7, put all those numbers together, you get 70, right? So you have 70 total Pariachag. And somehow that's the idea of Hanukkah. Why is that the idea of Hanukkah? First of all, you don't start with 13, you start with 8, right? You maybe should start with 13 and go down to 7 if you're trying to, right? But somehow that's Keneged Pariachag. What does that have to do with Hanukkah, right? The, the, the Parim that are part of the Musaf carbon of Sukkot. Okay. Strange, right? Yeah. Time of the Beishamai, Demalin Bekodesh Ve'ein Moridin. Hmm. In other words, to do one a night, hmm, you're always supposed to move up in Kedusha. So therefore what? We don't like Shammai's way of going down because whatever message you're trying to send runs counter to the idea that you always go up. Okay, Shammai didn't know that. Shammai felt there was some symbol, whatever that symbol is. So Hillel was sort of saying, yeah, we know what the Shammai people do, but we always say you should go up. Does it have more to do with how much oil was used up over, over a period of one day, over the eight days, meaning according to Shammai, so we'd start with eight because it was eight days worth of oil, even though it was really one day. And, um, and according to Hillel, it's that each day was more of a miracle because it really was only one day's worth, and yet it still went. Okay, so Sheila, you, what you're doing is answering my first question, which is, you're not dealing with the Pariachag and Milan Bakodesh, right? You, you, you're admitting that those need to be worked on. You're right. talking about the bland interpretation of yeah. Yom Ha'anachnos and Yom Ha'yotzen, right? So Sheila, you're trying to to respond to that question and say, you know what Yom Ha'anachnosen means? Yom Ha'anachnosen means somehow connected to the Nes Hanukkah, right? So go ahead, explain it. Why is it eight going down to one? Because well, because in the miracle, you started with enough for one night. All right, go ahead. And... Yeah. It lasted eight nights. So therefore, there was a less every single day. Yeah. So therefore, when we do eight going down to seven, it's not just about the amount of days. It's a remez to To the amount of oil. To the amount of oil that you started with. So you're assuming now, Sheila, that the way Shammai understood the miracle was was, that it went down a little each night. It went down a little each night. Whereas with Hillel, it really was all used up the first day, but it just burning so so in other words really on some level everything was gone and more stuff showed up another miracle so so in other words everything was gone so in other words you would have seen it burn let's say you were there you would see it you would see it's It's gone it's gone it's gone it's it's all here again what happened that that's more of a that's more of a nace than, than right, it, right. <laughs> right but then that's why it's a nace because each day you add to the because it's even a greater nace that it's still going so in other words Sheila, you're being machadish a whole new interpretation Sorry. Of how, of, no no i'm not saying it's bad but look i just want to tell you what, what you're investing notes 
you took this blandness and you turned it into like a fairy tale, which is okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, yeah I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I, I maybe we're, we're maybe what you we, what you're saying, but I've never heard this. I've heard the first thing you're saying. The Beis Yosef mm-hmm. mentions it about how they would use, in other words, an eighth left every single day, right? That's how we. That's the Beis Yosef's answer to why the first day is a miracle, right? The question is, mm-hmm. why is the first day a miracle? It was going to burn a day anyway. Right, because it only used... The Beis Yosef says that it burned, in other words, it had superpowers, that it burned very slowly, and an eighth of it was able to produce what usually would take a whole night's worth. And that's, the, therefore, uh, right. Th- that's, question, yeah, wait, 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 so, but, but that, that, that has been said already. And that's what you want to say is Shammai. Whereas according to Hillel, you want to say that it actually burnt, not, not like Henoch and I assumed that, look, nothing's moving. It's still burning. Oh, like what? Like it's still the same? Like nothing that's gone? It's still burning? She was saying it actually burns all the way to the end. And instead of there being zero in the in, in the chamber in the morning, they'd go back and say it's full again. Right? Or or it burned entirely, but it just kept burning without the oil. Meaning you didn't really need much oil. It was just always this teeny bit left for seven more days. There was a little drop. In other right, words, like what oh, do we understand? Oh. Like sorry, Menus and Rifki Menus lamp that burned from. Arab Shabbos to Arab Shabbos. Like, how do we understand that? Is that just... Yeah, so I understood it always, Sheila, to mean that the, the candle just didn't go out. Right. Way, so, right. But, but, but did, did, did it actually did it actually <laughs> become less and less and less till a week? And then it was at the end of the week? Or was it actually, you know, was right. it actually stable and strong and the same size the whole week, the amount of... Like I had a Yortzite candle burn once. This was for my mom, all of Shalom's Yortzite. It lasted, or was it for my aunt's, all of Shalom, a day and a half. It was like, I was going to call Ripley's, you know. <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, it kept burning. It was a 25-hour candle. It lasted like 30 hours or something. Yes. So, <laughs> I, I wanted a... a, a I wanted to address the first question about the carbonos of the Chag on Sukkot. That was yeah. That was the second question. I, I wanted, question is, what does it have to do with Hanukkah? Yeah, well, what I would want to say is that the the Greeks wanted to destroy our Das and our base Hamidosh. So, if you equate it to the carbonos of Sukkot, when all the nations are supposed to get together with Klal Yisrael. He's hoping that it's diametrically opposed. You have the Greeks and you have on Sukkot, the rest of the nations, a look toward a B.S. HaMoshiach. Uh-huh. So in other words, we want to extol Sukkot because Sukkot represents the utopian future that we hope, which was in stark opposition to what Hanukkah was. Right. Han- Hanukkah, we had almost an attack to do, to to pretty much eviscerate the base Hamikdash completely. Right. Whereas here we want, according to Shammai, we want the Neros of Hanukkah to reflect a Sukkot vision, and the Sukkot vision have the nations joining us. Right. Because the fact is that we, when we go from thirteen to seven, 
we, through that number, are sending a message that the nations are who we're concerned about. And like the Nitziv and others say, the nations actually did come to Eretz Yisrael during Sukkot and in some way take part in this great event. The Nitziv says that's why the Sefer Koheles was written. It was written as sort of an intellectual um, you know, monograph that the non-Jews could also appreciate. And Shlomo Melech authored it for his non-Jewish audience. So, in, in other words, so there definitely was, so that's what Hanuk is saying. And therefore, by doing it in such a fashion, although 13 to 7, you know, it sounds like we want, even according to Shammai, to somehow indicate you know, the amount of days, but we do it in a fashion that suggests Sukkot. Beautiful pshat, Enoch. You know that... It's very good. Thank you. You, you, know, you know that Chazal, of course, have a little bit of a different angle on this. In other places, when they speak about the Pariachag, they mention that it's a raya, that the, the Goyim are going to be eliminated, right? The idea that it goes down means that the non-Jewish power in the world is going to be uh, taken apart. Well, the Sar Shalesa is going to be... So, But in general, the idea of their hegemony and the fact that they're running the show, Sukkot is, is, is sort of a look to the future. Now, Henech is talking about it's a look to a, to a time of Shlomo Melech and other periods when we got along and maybe in the future. But there's actually a greater... It's more than just the fact that they were there watching it. It's also the fact that their strength and domination would be would be uh, you know eliminated, and they would go down from where they were originally, and they'd become more concentrated, but also not able to wield the type of control that that they do now in this time. So it's really you're right. It's a look towards the future, but also a look to where they're around. But, it, but the type of idea that they would have, like the Greeks who and the Syrian Greeks, that would want to sort of control and spread their culture, it would be the exact opposite. You know. So that's why it was mentioned here? Is that why? To, to, as a hint that don't hang on, that it's not going to be long that they're going to... Uh, or we do it in a way, right, to sort of indicate that, uh, you know, the, 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 the Nitzachon of, of Hanukkah is a proof of what that future time would be. I want to tell you, I want to tell you what I think is what I think is, is probably to me the one the shot that sits nicely about Shammai. We haven't really explained, you know, we haven't gone into this. We'll do more tomorrow. But what I would tell you that it says in the Sefer Hashmanoyim that when the Jews uh, who were trying to publicize this new miracle day or this new holiday, one of the appeals that they made was. We missed Sukkot over the last couple of years. We're going to create a new Sukkot. In other words, Hanukkah, with its eight days, was meant to be a uh, a, a do-over of Sukkot that didn't happen. And that's uh-huh. why in the Sefer Hashmanoyim it says it was eight days, not because, and many people make a lot of this, uh, Solomon Seitlin and others uh-huh. uh, write that you see that near Hanukkah, they didn't know about the miracle. Why didn't they talk about the miracle lasting eight days? So there is this source that says that that Hanukkah is really about replacing Sukkot 
for that year and maybe for the years that they missed Sukkot. So it could be, if that's true, that Beit Shammai reflects that, that opinion, that, okay, well, how are we doing Sukkot? Right. You're not going right. to bring Corbonos, are you? Well, we can't bring Corbonos, uh-huh. but we are in a way having like a Sukkot feel by doing the uh, countdown. And that could also, again, I don't, I don't know if it's any better than what Henoch is saying, but I think, I think you can it fits. It definitely the, fits. You, you can put the two together. All right. Rabbi, this, this shows that there's more to Beis Shammai than what currently people think. Right. Because we poskin it uh, like Beis Hillel. Everybody pushes Beis Shammai off. But what this Gabara shows is there's, there's deep logic uh, about it, about his opinion. Um, yeah, this Gemara, true, and the fact that we have decided to give Shammai his due by trying to understand him. Um, and you're right, Hannah. whenever you learn, you realize that there's a reason why we have retained Shammai. And of course, I'll just end on this note, there is the statement of the Arizal that we're going to paskin like Shammai lo'asid lovo. So right. there is this idea that Shammai is still the future world. And maybe that fits in. Um, you know what? I, I'll give me one more minute. I just want on that note. Amar Rabbah Barav Chana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Shnei Zekenim Olyu B'Tzidon. Echad Oseke Beishamai Ve'echad Kazari Beishilel. So you take a look here. Rabbi Yochanan said that he knew about people in Eretz Yisrael, and this is after the Baskol had come out. The Gemara in Yevomis talks about the Baskol coming out and saying that the halacha is going to be like Beis Hillel, and we know from the beginning of Brochos and other places that it was wrong what Reb Tarfon did to try to act like Beis Shammai. Rabbi Yochanan is later than Reb Tarfon, later than all those other sources, and he knew about these Zikainim living in Sidon, and one of them was a Beis Shammainik, which is interesting. The Beis Shammai's opinion is Henech's, uh, said, well, usually, who cares about Shammai? They were still following it after the Chorban, seemingly, in Sidon, and Yochanan knew about them, and they weren't just two cranks. They weren't Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon living up in, in you know, in, in, in the northern peninsula of Michigan. They weren't just like these two old guys. They were Chachanim. And one of them made a point of continuing the Shammai approach. And he said, Zen no St. Tom Lidvarov. And he went out of his way to say, I'm Gershomernik, and I'm still going to do it like Pariachag. And the other guy, who in Sidon said, well, he might be doing Shammai, but I'm doing Hillel. And it's because of Milan Bakodesh, Ve'en Moridim. So you sort of get the sense here, Henoch, that Shammai has not been pushed away. Right. Because... Rabbi Yochan's telling us, there's still, there's still the Shammai guy out there, and he's a Zokin which I think, again, indicates that this opinion, at least, isn't your typical Shammai opinion that sort of, as you say, gets relegated to an interesting historical curiosity, but doesn't necessarily uh, play a role in the way we're supposed to understand Hanukkah. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 